This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing Podcast. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. Today we're going to do our second episode in our Family of Origin series. And today we're going to be talking about what didn't happen. Yeah, this is a really, really tricky place to go into um, because I think um, as adults, we definitely feel the effects of what didn't happen, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to tell the story about it because it's about what didn't happen. We don't right. have we don't have memories of it. And there's nothing for us to kind of put our finger on and reference mm-hmm. because it just wasn't there, but it needed to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is when I was in graduate school, um, one of my professors said there's three things that we work on therapy work on in therapy Um, we work on what was and shouldn't have been what wasn't and should have been and what was and wasn't enough Mm. Um, and I think as we talk about neglect um, we're talking about what was and wasn't enough Mm -hmm. in extreme cases it's about what wasn't and what should have been yeah you know in extreme cases in neglect there's not adequate food Mm -hmm. there's not medical care there's not adequate shelter Mm -hmm. Um, those basic basic needs of life are not met and For those of you who have done some reading, understand a little bit, we talk sometimes about big T trauma, little T trauma. Sometimes for people, these are the little T traumas. Not that they don't have the impact of a big T trauma, right? But I always say they're these little T traumas that we almost didn't see because Mm -hmm. there was nothing there to see, right? So it's just we we have a blind spot to it and it keeps evading us. We're not Mm -hmm. sure what's going on for us because we can't grab it. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's take a minute. We talked last episode about mothering as a verb, mm-hmm. not, a, not a person. Um, so let's take a minute and let's talk about what happens to a child when mothering is happening. Okay. Um, one of the most basic forms of validation, the first form of validation we get is eye-to-eye validation. Mm-hmm. Um, infants, I, I don't remember how many inches it is exactly, they can focus on like six to eight inches in mm-hmm. front of their face which is about where their head is when they're cradling them, when they're being held. Mm -hmm. Um, and that looking and cooing back and forth, Mm -hmm. that is like neuron miracle grow in an infant's brain. Right. Um, there are so many connections that happen there and not just with this person, but brain wiring overall Mm -hmm. infants who are held, who are talked to, who are touched, who are saying to, um, they have more dense neuron connection in their brains than infants who don't. And Albert Einstein said one of the most important decisions that we can make is the decision that the world is a friendly place. Mm-hmm. And that sounds easy, right? And and I will say to clients, or, and it's not because we don't have evidence of the contrary. Right. It sounds easy. Or when you say that to people, they're like, that's completely crazy. <laughs> right? And that world does not have exist. Have you walked outside <laughs> your door? Do you know what world we live in? Um, but... I think that goes back the ability to make that decision and see good despite evidence of bad mm-hmm. um, goes back to those early formations that are happening for that very, mm-hmm. very young infant child where, again, 
I'm being gazed at, right? Mm -hmm. In this loving, caring, nurturing way. And I feel that. Mm -hmm. And that says to me, you're safe. Yeah. It says to me, it's okay for me to want. Mm -hmm. My needs are important. They're going to matter, right? And when we're talking about those um, beliefs, maybe that are starting to form, even though the the, Mm -hmm. the brain really isn't capable of beliefs at that point. But those experiences really shape and mold our ability mm-hmm. to be resilient, mm-hmm. to be relational when we really start to be old enough to now engage in relational aspects and be two-way relational. Things, those things are really going to show up either in a really positive way or in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of that as a relational template or relational expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, if our first caregivers are responsive, if they are positive towards us, mm-hmm. if they're loving towards us, um, we have that ability to expect that from other people. Yeah. Um, when we don't get that to the degree that we need, um, it's going to be very difficult to expect that from anybody mm-hmm. else. Because from day one, and for some people, it's even before birth, they get the sense that there's not enough mm-hmm. and this is not a safe place for me to mm-hmm. be. Um, and the, the body and brain do what they do best and they protect they protect the asset. Right. So the expectations are set at what we receive. Mm-hmm. So that can set you up for a, a way of living that is more based in survival mm-hmm. um, versus thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also, you know, it's an interesting thing because we can start to feel, right, because we maybe we aren't really capable of thought and belief at that point, um, but we just feel ironically both not enough and too much yeah in those experiences you know if it's one of those that i feel like me being here is a burden i'm i'm going to feel both not enough and too much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think that's a really really good point and i would say that's um that's the feeling that i think adults take into adulthood mm-hmm. when there's neglect is that simultaneously not enough and too much mm-hmm. so it makes it difficult when we're in as adults and we're maybe looking at relationships to get our needs met, mm-hmm. to really own what our needs are. Um, all of those things become very complicated. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that we can track back to those early templates that got shaped. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, um, when I started kind of my in-depth individual work, um, I remember the first time my therapist used the word neglect mm. and it rang me like a bell, but then I was like, neglect didn't happen because I didn't know what to look at there. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some of the areas where people are going to be neglected and, and where they're going to feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, the first place I go to is resources. And I've said on the show before, I grew up in a big family. There were six kids mm-hmm. um, and my parents were hardworking, but I always knew that there were not enough resources to go around. Same. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, with six of us, uh, kids in the house, um, there was no way that two parents who both worked um, were going to have enough time Mm -hmm. to give us everything that we needed. Um, There was no way with six competing needs that there was going to be enough money Mm -hmm. to get everybody what they needed. Yeah. Um, And even in the home, like the the bathroom situation, I remember like sitting in line outside the bathroom to be able to use it. Right. We had one bathroom for eight people. Hmm. See, we were lucky and we had three for eight, mm-hmm. and that still wasn't 
Like, so I'm the second in my family. I have an older sister than me. And then there's two brothers underneath me. One's four years younger and then one's six years younger. And then there were two more. And when my brothers, the two that were under me, were old enough to be taught by other men that were kind of mentors in their life, um, some construction skills and some stuff, they they finished a second bathroom Wow! in the house. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, that, uh, that's bringing up some emotion for me because I think I look at my own life and I think that was one of the biggest products of neglect for me was that I will just figure this out. Mm -hmm. I will make this work. Um, not a lot of confidence in my caregivers to make things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think I remember feeling as a kid, like simultaneously empowered and terrified. Mm. Like there was a lot that I knew how to do and I knew how to do it well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also knew if it wasn't something that I knew how to do or something that I could figure out, it was just not going to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I remember, you know, in my family growing up and and again, sometimes, I mean, I was growing up in the seventies and so, so I'm not sure exactly how health insurance worked. I know that my dad often switched jobs or got fired. Um, and often we didn't have health insurance, right? And my mom had a chronic um, illness. She had Crohn's disease. And so oftentimes, too, she that was a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. and she couldn't get um, insurance. And why, you know, why I know all of this when I'm zero to 10 is another story, right? <laughs> That's what did happen and shouldn't have, that I had that information. Um, but there were a lot of medical expenses that, that Mm -hmm. were then placed on my family, um, that for resources that were already very limited, Mm -hmm. that sunk us even more. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of, I, I don't know if this is other people's experiences in that time frame that parents just didn't really take their kids to the doctor, or if that was more specific because we didn't have a lot of medical insurance and money for co-pays well and from what you're just describing there i'd say that is one of the effects we carry into adulthood is we don't have a sense for what was going on around right. us. like is that normal or mm-hmm. was that just my family mm-hmm. i still have a hard time making sense of that but i know as a mother right all of my kids when they were young ended up with tubes in their ear mm. and the doctor would say to us like so which one of you had ear issues right and my husband's like i didn't and i'm like i didn't and as, you know, the second child now needs tubes, and he's like, this has got to be, like, inherited. It's got to be genetic. No, no, neither of us had that. And then I was just like, oh, no, I had a lot of earaches. We just would get, like, a hot water bottle mm-hmm. and sleep on it. Mm-hmm. And that was a pr- pretty common occurrence in my childhood. But, like, I was just like, oh, I didn't, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, and that's, like, for, for me as I've... Like gotten to know the neglect story deeper mm-hmm. it's that well we addressed it like right i i remember <clears throat> i remember times where um i was struggling a lot and i remember sitting on my bedroom floor with my mom and crying um together and that feeling really validating and it wasn't until i think i've told this story before um on the podcast i was in a men's group and i talked about a conversation i had in adulthood with my parents about some things that had happened Mm -hmm. and I was sharing it like I took this big step you should all be proud 
And this guy from across the room says, uh, so have they called you since then? And I looked at him like, no, why would they? Mm. And he was like, that was a really big thing that you shared with them. And then all of a sudden I was angry. Mm. I was so, so angry. And another guy in the group had, had said, how often did that happen? It was kind of that like, we addressed it, but we didn't really address it. Mm-hmm. And that realization for me was we would have those nights where we would cry and then it was never spoken of again. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes it hard to see the neglect is because it was addressed. It did happen, right. but it wasn't enough. Yeah. Or, you know, in the past year, um, I've learned that I have asthma mm. and two of my kids have asthma and we got it you know, taken care of and them diagnosed again, pretty young, you know, um, but the doctor again would say, who has asthma in your family? Mm. Both of us are saying neither, nobody that we are aware of has asthma. Um, and it took me a long time for me to be like, oh wait, I think I have asthma. Mm -hmm. Like I stopped playing soccer and I've always said to people, like, I'm just not a runner. I don't have the lungs for running, mm-hmm. which is true. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with asthma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just kind of, you know, I finally went in this last, um, it's like November and I was talking to my doctor and I just said, I don't know, we get some pretty poor air quality during the winter here in Mm -hmm. Utah. And I said, I don't know if it's the air quality, but like, even when I'm exercising in my house, I don't do it outside. I keep coughing and coughing. Mm -hmm. And what should I do about that? And, you know, he started asking a lot of questions and was like, either, I mean, you might have like just an exercise induced asthma and it may be related to the air quality. You also just may have asthma. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's from me? Like, two of my kids have asthma. (laughs) And I keep saying, no, I don't know anybody who has asthma. But to me, I'm like, you know, I think I'm fairly smart. And I'm like, why did it take me 47 years to figure Mm -hmm. out that I had asthma? And again, it's one of those, for me, nobody said, you have asthma. Mm -hmm. So I would say things like, I'm not really a runner because I cough and hack and Mm -hmm. my lungs are on fire. And so I don't run, but it never like occurred to me because that what I was never taken in for that. It was never identified. Mm -hmm. And so I I feel like I did kind of have a vague blind spot around that where I just couldn't really put my finger on it. Yeah. So I hear some like medical neglect in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's also an aspect of neglect. Like we need information about ourselves and about our family to make informed choices. Right. Um, and I, I look at my family and um, I feel like I have a lot of information about my family, but not the information that I need. Mm. Um, and, you know, that not just with siblings, but, you know, going back, just not knowing what was happening mm-hmm. in the family. And we've talked before on the show about how kids are egocentric and everything gets filtered through them. Yeah. So one of the products of that kind of, neglect um I grew up with a lot of shame because when things didn't work for me it was my problem Mm. and I didn't have this sense of oh this is something that more people in my family deal with Mm -hmm. or this is a genetic thing um or this is something that's actually happening for a lot of kids in my neighborhood Mm -hmm. um it was just this I'm the only one and I, I think that's where 
I think that's one of the places that neglect lands a lot of adults too is that um, I'm the only one that feels this way I'm the only one mm-hmm. that experiences with this mm-hmm. there's a real lack of connection yeah so that feeling of being alone in the experience as mm-hmm. well yeah mm-hmm. um, another aspect that I see a lot with the sex addicts that I work with is touch deprivation mm. um, and that is pretty apparent to me when I'm getting somebody's addiction history mm-hmm. and what they mm-hmm. pursue um, but I, I think that's something that impacts us a lot. Again, um, touch not just in infancy, but throughout our whole mm-hmm. life. That's more miracle grow yes. for the brain. Well, and, and again, we'll talk about this when we talk more about the things that did happen that should not have. But, you know, touch, especially if it did not happen or if it only happened and it was dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. If it was abusive, if it was threatening. And so the the um, brain recognized that as danger and then it had nothing else to go on mm-hmm. right so it didn't have hugging warmth affection also combined with touch with these and sometimes it's explosive mm-hmm. um yeah that can be really difficult when we start to get into adulthood i mean it's difficult for the child who isn't because like you said we know that touch is important for brain functioning um, but then as we start to get into adulthood and relationships, um, we may either really be averse mm-hmm. to touch or we can't get enough. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I would say touch is one of the most effective ways to communicate a level of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I look at um, just yesterday, I took my youngest to Costco. I do a weekly date with each of my kids. Mm-hmm. And the youngest one always likes to do what the oldest one wanted to do. Oh, okay. So I took the oldest one earlier this week to Costco and we got something from the food court and then we wandered around and got all the samples and he thought Mm. that was great. So that's what the youngest one needed to do. But um, we went there kind of first thing in the morning. And so there was a lot of like big carts and equipment coming Mm. through and kind of getting things set up and stocked in the store for the morning. And every time one rolled by, he would grab my hand and hide behind me. Mm. Um, Just because it was something big and he's little and Mm -hmm. and loud. And um, that touch was the he could feel in my body mm-hmm. and he could take signals from me when we were physically connected about how safe he could feel mm-hmm. um, and I think when we don't have reliable sources of touch or it's dangerous touch mm-hmm. we're left to figure out our world on our own right. um, and you know when we're little and things are big and loud and scary I don't know that our nervous system has an opportunity to learn that that might be able to feel differently if we don't have a bigger, stronger, wiser, and kind nervous system communicating that mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, what we talk about, that for young kids, they really aren't able to regulate their own nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so they really are dependent upon the caregivers that they have in their life to plug into their caretaker system in order to regulate. Mm -hmm. Now, if their caretaker is stressed, right, which you may relate to, I may relate to coming from a family where there were six Mm -hmm. kids, Mm -hmm. um, then when they plug into that in order to regulate, what what can happen is it actually spikes them. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if, you know, sometimes a parent just was dealing with postpartum depression Um, Mm -hmm. And this kid is plugging into their system and they're getting nothing, Mm -hmm. right? It's very flat and somewhat lifeless. 
um, again, that's impacting their system mm -hmm. and how their system is learning to regulate or more effectively not regulate. Yeah, and I, for me, that was one of the hard things to see because having a parent who was really depressed and plugging that and getting nothing, we just took care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of, like, I remember always feeling older than I was mm -hmm. and, like, being really proud that I could do things that other kids my age couldn't do. Mm -hmm. or I, I knew how to take care of things that it didn't seem like my peers knew how to take care of. Um, but I, and then I look at all of the other ways that I coped in supporting that, like the whole come home from school and you are the first one in front of the TV so that you can control the mm -hmm. remote for the night. Mm -hmm. And, like really I would say TV raised me still to this day like mm. in conversations in my family I think we communicate more through quoting the Simpsons mm -hmm. and Seinfeld than we do through mm -hmm. anything else because mm -hmm. that was what that's what we got interaction from yeah um, and one of the um, one of the books that I'm currently reading talks about how like when TV came on you know on the scene for families that initially, like maybe our parents' experience, so baby boomers' experience, and this might be the older half of baby boomers, their experience with TV was that it was a very family unifying experience, mm -hmm. right? And the mm -hmm. family would sit down after dinner or something mm -hmm. like that, and they'd all watch the same show and laugh, and like that was kind of how TV impacted the family. How Lawrence Welk saved our country. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And then later, like our generation, it sounds like your, my generation, your generation, um, the way that baby boomers as parents use the TV was as a babysitter, mm -hmm. right? That they weren't sitting and watching TV with their children. And it wasn't like, hey, we sit down and do this as a family activity and then we're done with that activity. Mm -hmm. But that children were kind of more set in front of the TV for long hours mm -hmm. of time so that parents could be doing something else. Mm -hmm. Whether that was sleeping, whether that was cleaning, mm -hmm. whatever that was, right? It was just like, you go over there and be entertained so that I don't have to care for you. And I would, I would put in here, this is one of the reasons why I think identifying our own neglect is so hard. Um, because when we start saying, like, I was in front of the TV for hours because a parent was not available, um, it's really easy to go into blaming a parent on right. that. And sometimes we will feel that, and that's okay. Uh -huh. um, but I think to really dive into how that felt for us and to really do the healing there, in Adultrin of Alcoholics, they talk about um, naming and not blaming. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a huge component of getting to know our neglect stories, just mm -hmm. to be able to talk about what happened Right. And to realize that just as in our life, as we look at the, the mess that we're in, there's a reason why we're there. Mm -hmm. um, you can give parents the benefit of the doubt. You can identify how overstressed they were and still say, I didn't get what I needed. Mm -hmm. um, right. And, and there may be reasons, if, if we know enough about our parents' story. Like for me, I think my dad had multiple addictions. I think my mom was dealing with a very unhappy unhealthy marriage and somewhat I mean she was a single parent even though she was married and then I think she was trying to cover for my dad a mm -hmm. lot and so I can look at her situation and have compassion for that and understand kind of the landscape that then I, I was interacting mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. and that maybe in her heart her intention was to do better but this is what she was also dealing with right yeah. 
And so while in my family growing up, we had one bathroom for eight people, every bedroom, and it's not like we had a big house and there weren't a ton of bedrooms, all of us had to share, but every bedroom had a TV. Mm -hmm. So we could all go to our rooms Mm -hmm. and be entertained. And it also helped because then we were less likely to rock the boat and have dad explode. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's take a look at um, the internalized messages that come from neglect. Okay. Um, we've said this on the show before that the the big impact of trauma is usually not what happened, but what happened after what happened. Right. And those internalized messages, when we are neglected, um, I think they really start to shape how we see ourselves, how uh-huh. we start to see what's possible for us in relationships. And even how we start to see other people. So those are like secondary traumas sometimes. Mm-hmm. The, the, initial tra- the initial trauma was either what did happen to us or what did not happen mm-hmm. to us um, or what wasn't enough. But then our beliefs that got shaped about mm-hmm. that, how we internalized that, the conclusions we reached about ourselves, the world, other mm-hmm. people, um, those are secondary trauma. Mm-hmm things that happen to us yeah um a couple of months ago i'm notorious and maybe this is like too gross for everybody to know i'm notorious for holding on to socks for years Mm. like unless my foot is poking through it it's still good to wear oh wow um i think at my house they're disposable yeah (laughs) like people wear them and i never see them again i'm always buying socks (laughs) new socks feel so good um but i remember a couple months ago having a conversation with my spouse and i said um this month I'd really like to make sure that we set some money aside for me to get new socks. And she said, why do we need to set money aside for getting (laughs) socks? Um, And I was like, well, you know, like it's money that we don't normally plan on spending. And she's like, go get new socks. Like, (laughs) don't worry about it. You need that. Um, And for me, one of those internalized messages from neglect is I'm too much. My needs Mm. are too much. I remember every time there was a unforeseen medical problem Um, My parents, from a medical perspective, I actually think they did a really good job. Um, My mom made sure we all got dental work and Mm. we all had braces and and things like that. But I do remember when it was, um, I remember very detailed plans that my parents had about how long this child was going to have braces and then how long we had to wait before the next Mm. child got theirs. And just this sense of like, if there's a need that comes too soon or is too big, it's going to blow this ship up. Mm. Um, and so I really internalize that message that I am too much mm. and my needs are too much. Mm-hmm. And and then that's hard, like you were saying, to just take care of them as they come mm-hmm. in adulthood and, mm-hmm. and, and to recognize, you know, your wife could recognize and point that out to you, but to recognize, hey, this is not a burdensome need. Mm-hmm. Like spend the seven bucks or whatever mm-hmm. for the package or however mm-hmm. you buy your socks, but this isn't going to like tip the budget Mm -hmm. but that's how that felt as a kid Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i think a a message that's inherent in neglect is about our self-worth um i had a client in the other day and um he was talking about neglect that had happened in his family and um he was describing some things and he said but i don't think it was a big deal and i said what would you call that if you saw it on a dateline episode and he Mm. said i would call that child abuse Mm. And I was like, yeah, because it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we live in a place that's not safe or we live in a place that's not clean or we don't have the things that we need, the time, the resources that we need, I think we get this sense that um, I'm not worthy mm-hmm. of that. 
Mm-hmm. I don't deserve to, to have what I need or I don't deserve to feel safe. Yeah. Yeah, I had a thought and it lost it lost me. It's out there somewhere. Might come back. <laughs> come back. Come back, thought. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I think that also really starts to play with our beliefs or our blocking beliefs about pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so we'll either steal it or sneak it mm-hmm. or do it kind of in the dark where nobody knows mm-hmm. that or we just deprive, deprive, mm-hmm. deprive. Um, yeah, working in addiction, I think there's a lot of issues that come up around pleasure that then mm-hmm. go back to how we first learned mm-hmm. relationships and got the image of ourselves. And I think what underlies any of those approaches to pleasure is a scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. Either this is a resource that's so precious that I, I better only use it when it's a break the glass mm-hmm. kind of emergency. Or it's a resource that's so scarce, if I don't use it up now, it will not be available later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I see a lot of uh, people who grew up with neglect come to the table with is a lot of scarcity mm-hmm. mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that really affects many of the aspects of an adult who's been neglected. Yeah. Um, this feels like a natural place for us to pause on this episode. So yeah. we want to say thank you for listening. And if you have questions about this or aspects of neglect that you'd like us to address, please email us and right. let us know. We're always happy to hear from listeners who want to know more. So we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story until it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Pass Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to re- to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.